0: the Church Next podcast, we'll be talking about fake news and misinformation, and how to discern spiritual truth in an age of fake news. In today's world of alternative facts, followers of Jesus must have a clear means of assessing what's real and what's not. But how in the world do we do that? Greetings and welcome back. I'm Carrie Graves with Church Next. Today we'll be hearing from Elizabeth Guides, Episcopal priest and author of a book on spiritual truth in the age of fake news, and also Rebecca Cotton, policy and research fellow at the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations. we'll hear from Rebecca Cotton and learn more about what misinformation and fake news are. What do these terms really identify? Political lies? False news stories? Facebook posts reposted by your cousin? Let's hear from Rebecca on the broad-ranging nature of fake news and the emotional and behavioral effects it has on those who consume it.
1: Associated Press now posts a recurring article called Not Real News, a look at what didn't happen this week. It's advertised as a roundup of some of the most popular, but completely untrue, stories and visuals of the week. None of these are legit, even though they were widely shared on social media. How have we reached a point where a major news organization has plenty of material for a weekly newsletter on fake news? Why do people create and share misinformation? Before we can answer this question, it's helpful to have a better understanding of the misinformation landscape. First, most misinformation can't really be called news, fake or otherwise. The term fake news can be used to broadly describe inaccurate or misleading stories, but even these are only a fraction of the total misinformation content. A lot of misinformation is simply gossips, rumors, and memes. Some of it is hyper-targeted ads, manipulated videos, or misrepresented photos. Most of it has at least a grain of truth since information that is an outright lie is far easier for people to spot and categorize as false. While using fabricated made up content is common, plenty of misinformation simply misrepresents, exaggerates or cherry picks pieces from completely legitimate sources. So when we think about misinformation, we have to acknowledge the entire landscape. Content that lies along the entire truthfulness spectrum. Content that causes various levels of harm and damage. And content that exists in every type of genre imaginable, from Facebook memes and email chains to manipulated videos and, on occasion, actual news stories. In this complex landscape, many different actors create and spread misinformation. Jokers, scammers, hyperpartisan organizations, conspiracy theorists fake insiders, celebrities, and sometimes even your friends and family. A joker might create a parody or satirical piece to get a few laughs, but others might spread it on social media thinking it's true. A politician might use misinformation against an opponent in an election or to deflect blame from themselves in reaction to a real or perceived crisis. A friend might share public health misinformation because they believe it's true and they want to protect their friends and family. But sometimes one's use of misinformation isn't so straightforward. Why did someone create a fake story claiming the Pope had COVID-19? Why do bots and trolls on Twitter share anti-vaccine and climate change denial messages at significantly higher rates than other users? What's the purpose? Let's step back for a moment. Have you ever witnessed a scene like this one play out? A child goes up to their parent, mom, I just want you to know that I think you're the best mom in the whole world. The mom beams, Aw, thanks. The child walks away. Five minutes later, the child comes back. Hey mom, can I have an ice cream? Now we can pretty easily see that true filial devotion was probably not the main driver behind the child's Mom, you are the best message. The child was trying to use flattery to get an ice cream. We should remember that misinformation often operates in a similar way. The driving motivation behind creating or sharing misinformation is often different from the actual message being shared. Disinformation campaigns, for example, which are deliberately crafted to spread false or misleading information often spread both pro and con messages about divisive issues like abortion, vaccinations, climate change, or political ideology. These posts usually aren't trying to change anyone's strongly held position. Instead, they seek to encourage radicalization, to foster mistrust in institutions, to widen existing divisions in society by breaking down trust and communication between different groups, and to facilitate censorship through noise, using mass-produced and mass-distributed misinformation to overwhelm our ability to find and identify trustworthy content, thus effectively censoring it. As we navigate the misinformation landscape, we should be aware of these ulterior motives. Stopping the spread of misinformation is important, but it is also critical that we actively work against the byproduct of misinformation spread, which includes seeking unity in civil discourse rather than division, and uplifting what is true above the noisy jumble of half-truths and lies. As Christians, we are called to follow after and emulate a God who is the way, the truth, and the life. The prayer book teaches that among our duties to our neighbors is to be honest and fair in our dealings and to speak truth and not mislead others by our silence.
0: Knowing where to find accurate news is one of the most important ways to counter misinformation. In this next segment, Rebecca is going to give us four key steps for discernment of accurate news. Let's hear those now. One of them may surprise you.
1: You're scrolling through your social media feed and you see a post with really important information you think the world should know. You go to share it on your own page, But something makes you pause. What if this is a piece of misinformation? How can you tell? What should you do? One of the most important ways to counter misinformation is to know where you can go to find accurate information, reputable news sites, useful government run pages, even friends, family or acquaintances who generally do a good job researching information before sharing it with others. So the first question to ask yourself when looking at a social media post is, where is it from? If it's from a reputable news organization or another source you know and trust, then great. That's a good indicator that this post has probably been verified. But especially when you're on social media, you want to be on the lookout for copycat websites, trying to mimic legitimate ones. And remember that there are many satirical and parody accounts, not all of which are clearly labeled. It's a bit embarrassing to share what you thought was a legitimate story and then have someone point out it's actually satire. Also remember that just because your friend, family member or favorite celebrity shared a post doesn't mean they did their research and that post is accurate. When you're searching where a post is from, try to find the original source rather than relying on the person who shared it with you. You can also ask yourself, what's missing? Is there an author or a source listed? If there's not one, why not? Does that source have the credentials to be making that statement? Are the data and statistics linked to something verifiable? Do the title, content and images of the post match each other? And lastly, if it seems like truly newsworthy information, well, is it showing up on major news sites? A major breaking story or public health announcement is almost certainly going to be widely circulating on major news sites, unless that breaking news event or announcement isn't actually true. Lastly, before sharing a post you see, ask yourself how you feel. Are you excited, angry, vindicated, otherwise impassioned? Then it's time to do more research because that type of emotional manipulation is how most disinformation creators trick us into sharing a post before we examine it more closely. These three questions, where's it from, what's missing, and how does it make me feel, are a great way to self-monitor our social media feeds. None of these questions are guaranteed to catch misinformation every time, but using them will help you spot warning flags and know when to ask more questions. The comment section of a post, a Google reverse image search, and fact check websites like Snoops and AP Fact Check are good follow-up steps to take if you think something might be misinformation, but you're not sure. Taking personal responsibility is a key part of disrupting the spread of misinformation, but it's not the only one. Have conversations with your friends and family members about misinformation and how to stop it. Be kind. A lot of misinformation is shared by mistake from people with good intentions. Remember that all of us at least occasionally share information that we think is true and that turns out not to be. If you're comfortable, find a way to politely tell your social media connections when they've shared a piece of misinformation and ask for that same accountability in return. Also communicate to your elected officials that protection from disinformation campaigns is important to you. Develop a nuanced understanding of the relationship between free speech and disinformation What role should Congress, social media companies, and consumers play in limiting the spread of disinformation while also protecting free speech rights? We should bear in mind that misinformation is not a new phenomenon, nor is it limited to social media and other online platforms. Misinformation has been used to shape societal norms and policy for centuries, and echoes of that continue in our world today.
0: So we've talked a lot about fake news and how to discern what's accurate. Most of it takes place in our current context. What then is biblical fake news? Let's hear from Elizabeth on how scripture has been used for centuries to promote fake news and the effects that has had on our culture and society.
2: call it misinformation or fake news, it's not new. People have been interpreting the Bible to advance their own agenda for hundreds of years. Agenda-driven biblical interpretation presents an inaccurate picture of what the Bible actually says, resulting in distorted relationships among God's beloved children. This creates division among us rather than unity which as Rebecca Cotton has just told us is one of the byproducts of misinformation. The world we all live in has been shaped by a Eurocentric biblical worldview. A worldview based on the false belief that some people are second-class citizens and the Bible says it is so. The belief that woman was created second, sinned first and is therefore inferior comes in part from a selective reading of the book of Genesis. The belief that whites are superior to blacks and other minorities has been supported by the misuse of scripture, as has the belief that homosexuality is a sin. And the Bible has been misused repeatedly to assert that Gentiles are better than Jews. These convictions have resulted in centuries of discrimination, and countless deaths. With recent events in America, it is painfully clear that many isms are experiencing a resurgence right now. Racism, sexism, heterosexism, anti-Semitism, and more. It's as if the progress made toward equality has been turned upside down. Now more than ever, let us shout from the rooftops that The Bible does not put one group of people here and another group here. That's what I call biblical fake news. And it is nothing less than the weaponization of scripture to marginalize entire groups of people. So let's educate ourselves and allow the ancient words of scripture in their original meaning to inform our belief system and our actions. Why is it that some traditional biblical interpretations are just not accurate anymore? Well, first of all, over 800 biblical manuscripts were not discovered until the late 1940s. Known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were unearthed over 300 years after the King James Version of the Bible was translated. Yet, when Americans reach for their Bible, 55% still pick up a King James Version with the NIV at 19% and all other transitions lagging way behind in the single digits. Second, the original biblical manuscripts were written in Hebrew and Greek. Every Bible in the English language is a translation, some better than others. Translators of the New Revised Standard Version published in 1989 and include scholars representing Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox Christian groups as well as Jewish representatives responsible for the Hebrew Bible Old Testament. This is the version preferred by biblical scholars and used in the Episcopal Church today. So to interpret scripture accurately, the translation we use matters a great deal. Third, all passages of scripture must be read in context. Proof texting has never been a viable method of biblical interpretation. Those who do so are not biblical literalists as they may claim. They're selective literalists who cite only those passages that confirm their belief or agenda. Selective literalism has led to the misuse of scripture to proclaim women as inferior, promote slavery, condemn homosexuality, advocate not welcoming the stranger from other countries, and more. But I'm often asked, then, how can we really correctly interpret scripture when there are so many contradictions within it? And there are many. By letting the Bible critique itself. Even though it was written in a highly patriarchal culture, the entire trajectory of scripture points to our Creator's inclusive love, for all people. There are no qualifiers here, not one. Ultimately, scripture must be interpreted through this lens, which is supported by the foundational biblical stories, creation and the exodus in the Hebrew Bible Old Testament, and the life and teachings of Jesus in the New Testament.
0: Now that we're more clear on the ancient practice of fake news, especially biblical fake news, how do we set the record straight? Let's hear from Elizabeth as she expands on Rebecca's discernment tips and shows us how we can set the record straight and help to bring God's kingdom through discerning truth in an age of fake news.
2: Let's begin with Rebecca Cotton's three questions for evaluating the information we receive. Where is it from? What's missing? And how does it make me feel? I'd like to expand her last question to, is this something God would want me or my neighbor to feel? Isms are dominating our news cycle right now. I'd like to focus on the one that involves 50% of the population sexism. So first question, where is it from? It originated in part from a well-known account of the creation of male and female in the book of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, end quote. This story of Eve being created out of Adam's rib to be his helper is a familiar one. The English word helper is often used to describe an assistant, but this is not the meaning of the original Hebrew. The Hebrew words translated in English as helper literally mean a helper corresponding to the one being helped. Before the creation of Eve, Adam has only animals with which to relate, whereas the focus here is on the unique way humans relate to one another. The Hebrew words translated helper are used 16 times in the Bible to speak of God's direct assistance to human beings. A word used in reference to our creator does not indicate secondary status. Yet over 5,000 years after these words were written, women have still not achieved equality, in part due to the weaponization of scripture. our second question, what's missing? Something very important. There isn't just one creation account in the book of Genesis, there are two. The first one states, so God created humankind in his image, In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. God saw everything that He had made, and indeed, it was very good. End quote. Here, male and female are created at the same time as equals; neither is superior to the other. The fullness, the beauty, the equality of female and male inherent in this passage have been ignored. The casting aside of such passages has enabled skewed male-female dynamics to flourish throughout the centuries. And just in case we missed it the first time, this account is repeated four chapters later. The fifth chapter of Genesis states, when God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. Here again, there is nothing secondary about womankind. From the beginning of time, male and female are both created in the likeness of God. The selective remembering of woman as created second and therefore inferior helped lay the foundation for patriarchal systems still in place throughout the world. This abuse of the Bible is persistent fake news that has resulted in the secondary status of women. Two thirds of the illiterate people in the world today are female. In America, there is still a significant gender pay gap harmful to women's economic security. And the last question, is this something the God of love and justice would want me or my neighbor to feel? In a word, no. Our creator doesn't want any of us to feel less than, less worthy, inferior. We are meant to live into the fullness of who God created us to be, each and every one of us, women and men alike. So what I've done here is to just give you one example of how to set the record straight on what the Bible really says regarding a particular ism that plagues our country today. You can do this same exercise with each one of them, racism, sexism, heterosexism, anti-Semitism, and more. Educating ourselves about the biblical heritage that has been handed down to us as it was intended in the original language can change not only our own lives, but the world in which we live. It can help us stop the fake news that some people are created by God as inherently better than others. If we could live into the true news that we are all equal children of God, can you imagine what a different world it would be?
0: that's the end of our talk with rebecca and elizabeth today thank you for tuning in if you're interested in learning more check out elizabeth's website elizabethguides.com and her latest book spiritual truth in the age of fake news you can also check out the website of the office of government relations of the episcopal church check out our classes on spirituality, the Bible, and communication on churchnext.tv. A collect for the nation from the Book of Common Prayer. Lord God Almighty, you have made all the peoples of the earth for your glory to serve you in freedom and in peace. Give to the people of our country a zeal for justice and the strength of forbearance, that we may use our liberty in accordance with your gracious will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever.